Hello and shalom to everyone. Thank you for joining us for the ICEJ weekly webinar. It's Thursday, 4 p.m. And that means we're bringing you another uh, exciting topic uh, from here in the headquarters uh, in Jerusalem of the Christian Embassy. We really appreciate, appreciate you joining us. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the embassy and our uh, international spokesman. And today we're going to be taking up the topic of the meaning or significance of Rosh Chodesh. Uh, yesterday, during the embassy's uh, global prayer gathering, uh, we had the third anniversary of our Rosh Chodesh prayer chain. And uh, we want to give people a better understanding uh, that there were incredible testimonies of all that God is doing through this monthly prayer chain. But Rosh Hodesh all ha has to do with the beginning of each Hebrew month and setting this aside to as a time to start praying for the days ahead. It's always good not to pray about the past, but what's ahead of us. And uh, so this is really the whole uh, uh, thrust of the uh, Rosh Hodesh prayer chain. But we want to get more background on this today from my colleague, fellow Vice President, uh, Dr. Mormer Callas. He's our VP for International Affairs, and he's sort of our resident uh, Hebraic roots scholar uh, for many years in Prague in uh, his home country of Czech Republic. He held a every Friday night uh, a Torah study, what was the Torah portion, and he, he really got familiar with a lot of Jewish sources and became very good at going in there and trying to figure out what we need to know as Christians about some of the Hebraic roots of our faith. And Mormir, it's good to see you. Yes, hello, and welcome all of our listeners today. Yeah. And uh, Mormir, I tell you, it was quite exciting to hear all the testimonies yesterday. We had them from uh, Asia, and there were so many with such good testimonies and all, we barely got to Africa and we had to skip Europe and, and the Americas and we'll take those up next week. But just hearing some of these testimonies about how the Rosh Hodesh uh, prayer chain every month, we start the first day of every Hebrew month and pray for around 10 or 12 days now, an online prayer vigil, which has around 70 nations involved in it. Mormir, they, people were saying it's changed uh, nations, it's changed governments, it's uh, uh, brought unity among the pastors and the churches, it's brought revival. I mean, it was really, really exciting to hear how it's having this impact. But it follows a biblical pattern of going by the, the Rosh Hodesh, the head of the month, which is the the new moon in the Bible is all, all often described as the new moon festival. And uh, please give us more on this so we can help understand. And is this really, uh, are we legalizing here or not? Or is it something that we can really take spiritual benefit from? Right. Well, exactly, David. And these testimonies that you just mentioned, uh, to me, it shows that this is something that we are doing, but that God initiated. Because first of all, for something to go on for three years, month after month, and seeing an uh, ever-increasing number of people, churches, countries, 
hours that they take to take part in this chain, that's already amazing. And then you add to it these results. And uh, really, when, when people hear Rosh Chodesh, many Christians, I bet, would not understand what it is about. So we uh, like to use, for this particular event, we like to use the uh, word Rosh Chodesh prayer chain, because that's what it is. It is a prayer initiative, which starts, as you said, at the beginning of every uh, Hebrew month. Uh, but uh, in order to really appreciate, and that's my point to which I would like to, to come at the end, I believe that if we really look into the Bible, what is the significance of that particular feast, then we will find that it does have a prophetic dimension. And it seems like the Lord himself has been leading us to, to that, which is quite fascinating. But we need to start, as always, uh, with uh, some analysis and really looking into the Bible in order to understand what it means, starting from the definition in the Torah, in the five books of Moses, then looking at the prophetic uh, way of looking at those things, which would include the New Testament, so that we uh, make it clear that we are not uh, taking the people back under the yoke of the law or anything like that. But as you said, I do believe that there is something we can uh, learn from, and uh, that's uh, my topic today. So if I should start, Rosh Chodesh uh, is the Hebrew uh, word or designation for the new month, a new moon. And uh, in the Bible, it is often mentioned together with uh, other important dates like Passover, Shavuot or Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, or, or even with the Shabbat, with the, the Day of Rest. All these dates are called Moadim in Hebrew. And Moed is, is a word which can be translated as an appointed time. Just imagine that, you know, your boss is making an appointment with you and he commits his time and he is there to listen to you, to spend time with you. This is how we can look at these Muadim, which were instituted by God in the very beginning. It is as if the creator of heaven and earth, creator of the universe, said that at these particular times, he would be present like no other times. He would listen. He would accept our prayers. So that's how the Jewish people take and understand these uh, special moments in time. Now, I need to add immediately that uh, we as Christians are not bound by that. And we know that God is listening to us all the time. We know and when Jesus said that if uh, two or three of us gather together in his name, anytime, anywhere, he is there, which just shows the magnitude of his grace, which is available, which has been made available to us through the cross, through the finished work of Jesus. And uh, also we should be praying without ceasing, as Apostle Paul is exhorting us. And James says that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. So that, again, that's something which is not limited to certain dates. Uh, that's something we should make a lifestyle. Uh, but again, if we look at the Bible and uh, understand what the, the design of God uh, that he put into that calendar, what it is, then I believe that we can even uh, enhance our spiritual life. So let's start by definition. 
which is what I'm used to doing as a mathematician. You start with a definition and then you see what it means. So you find the definition of the new moon in Numbers, the fourth book of Moses, chapter 10, verse 10. It's Numbers 10, 10, and uh, it goes like this. In the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So here, this verse covers the new moons and the other appointed feasts, these muadim, as I just explained. And um, it is called a day of gladness. And uh, the first thing to understand is that these, all these feasts are somehow related to the moon, or in other words, to the lunar calendar. And uh, that is something I will go go back uh, into in a moment because it in a way does disrupt the normal calendar that we are used to so anyway the uh, major holidays the feasts like passover and sukkot they both happen on the 15th day of the lunar month which is the full moon so we have the new moon where moon temporarily disappears from the sky that's the first day, and then the 15th day is the other side of the cycle when the moon shines fully. And so the moon has become a symbol, a signal for these uh, festivals, festival, the most important ones. Now, uh, there are some common characteristics which uh, are true for every Moed, every special appointed time. One of them is joy. It's a day of your gladness. So it's, it's like any other holiday. We are supposed to be glad and rejoice and celebrate. So this is a uh, monthly celebration uh, instituted by God. Then uh, we hear about the peace offerings. And, uh, you know, in our modern times, we don't know exactly what to uh, understand under a peace offering. But actually, in those days, it was simply a party. Party in the name of the Lord. People would bring an animal and had it slaughtered by the priest and ate it and drank it before the Lord, uh, which means in a proper fashion. And just as a side note, eating together, eating in public in ancient times was uh, quite important. And it always had the connotation of a religious act because the food was dedicated to some kind of a god. And uh, we find a reflection of this practice even in the New Testament, when Paul is writing to Corinthians, answering the question if they are allowed to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And he says that there is no such thing as an idol, but because and so you can eat freely, but sometimes because of the conscience of the other, you should abstain from that. So uh, the eating in the right way has always been important uh, because it could easily lead to idolatry, to uh, lead people away from God. Uh, and in, if you, you eat it in the right way, properly, then you are actually acknowledging God and you are doing something which he likes. So that is the context. And peace offerings, in other words, 
eating and drinking in a proper fashion is also part of every Jewish festival. One of the jokes goes like this. You know uh, what is uh, uh, typical for every Jewish festival? We hear that they wanted to kill us. God uh, miraculously saved us. So let's come eat and drink. So that's, uh, I think, really uh, captures the, the fact that eating and drinking is simply part of that. And we can find some uh, specific examples of uh, this new moon partying uh, in the Bible. For instance, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, that's the story uh, when David befriended Jonathan and King Saul sought to kill David. David at that time saw, served as his chief of staff, we could say, uh, but he got more and more popular. And uh, Saul, King Saul, because of his insecurity, feared David and he wanted to kill him. And if you read it in 1 Samuel 20, you will find that a new moon celebration approached. This is one of the parties I'm talking about. And we read that the king threw a party, but David was absent. He used the pretext that he needs to go home to celebrate with his family. In other words, to be present at another party, which was nothing unusual, actually. He could have used this uh, pretext easily. Uh, and then Jonathan, he was waiting uh, in the field and Jonathan gave him the sign by shooting arrows beyond him. And so David knew that he had to flee. But I just wanted to illustrate that this is how the new moon celebration uh, looked like in those days. So uh, that's one thing. Then um, we also hear in this definition from Numbers that this new moon celebration and also the other feasts are uh, typical uh, with the sounding of the shofar or the trumpet. That's actually one of the major subjects which I will go into in a moment. But there's another uh, aspect of Rosh Chodesh which we find in the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 46, the first verse, says this, Ezekiel 46, 1. The gateway of the inner court that faces toward the east shall be shut for six working days, but on the Shabbat it shall be opened, and on the day of the new moon it shall be opened. So we see, I'm quoting this just in order to show that the new moon is here uh, at the same level as the Shabbat. The gate is open on Shabbat and the gate is open on a new moon. So again, the new moon or Rosh Chodesh is one of the Moadim, one of the special dates designated by God, and they, it belongs to the family of all the feasts and of Shabbat. Now, I mentioned already that uh, these days are following the lunar calendar, uh, but the Jewish calendar is, or the Hebrew calendar, also relies on the solar calendar. Uh, how, how is that? It is because Shabbat, is not depending on the moon, on the position of the moon. Shabbat comes every seventh day, and therefore it is connected to the sun cycle. And uh, the sun rises every day in the same way, and so the Shabbat is the same every seventh day. And that, that's quite regular. And this is something that we are used to. We can even say that the whole world uh, now is operating against this Jewish idea of a seven-day week. You know, the, the Christians have 
taken over this seven day week, even though they then moved the day of rest from uh, Shabbat to Sunday to the first day for some reasons. But we still are used to keeping a seven day week. And the whole world today operates on, this, on that same principle. Who remembers today these French revolutionaries who at the end of 18th century attempted to change the calendar? And they even invented a 10-day week. They invented a new month. They gave some fancy names to them. But it's long gone and disappeared. It, it never took on. So we can say that this seven-day pattern is a sign from God, which is now, thanks to the Jewish people, universally recognized. And this is how we uh, are uh, arranging our time, by the cycles of seven, uh, directed by the sun. But again, as I said, there is also this lunar calendar. And uh, the consequence of it is that certain dates are uh, falling each time on a different day in the week because the lunar calendar is not synchronized with the solar one. So, uh, for instance, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and uh, the ICJ, uh, you know, is, has uh, a lot of experience with that because that is our main event every year. But the, the Feast of Tabernacles starts every year on a different day in the week. Sometimes it starts on Monday, sometimes on Friday, sometimes on Sunday. And uh, that is not easy because uh, it, there is an interplay between the festival of Sukkot and the festival of Shabbat. So there are all kinds of combinations and we need to rearrange our program every year again because we need to take into account this particular sequence of holidays and uh, the other days in between when you can for instance, travel and when it is not Shabbat. Uh, so, uh, in a way, this lunar calendar disrupts our seven-day sun cycle. And the, the same thing is uh, true also for Rosh Chodesh, because that is the day when the moon disappears, when there's a new moon. And so, it, every month, it comes on a different day. It, it's Monday, it's Wednesday, it's Friday, it's, it's Sunday. And uh, uh, we have had to really learn this uh, when we started this uh, Rosh Chodesh prayer chain, because we start every month at a different date. And uh, it's, uh, it really needs some adjustment. And we are very, uh, very grateful to all those churches which played along and which are able to still take their hours of prayer every month in, in different days and different times. So that is about the calendar. And uh, now what are some of these characteristics of this particular Moed, this new moon, the Rosh Chodesh? I said already that it's similar to the other feast. It's a time of joy and of drawing near to God and of blowing the trumpet or the shofar. Why that? What, what is the meaning of it? Uh, in the definition with which I started, the scripture mentions one uh, reason for blowing the shofar. It says, it shall be a memorial for you. The memorial, uh, 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 the Hebrew word for it is zikaron. And, uh, you know, in English, when you say memorial, you might think of a statue or something. But a memorial uh, means uh, a time to remember, basically. 
That's what zikaron means. And uh, I will quote a few Bible verses which use this word zikaron because when you want to understand the biblical meaning of any particular word, you just look it up in your concordance and find uh, where it is uh, located in the Bible. And putting it together, you can you know, arrive at some understanding of what's the connotation of this word. So the word zikaron, uh, for the first time, appears in Exodus, Second Moses chapter 17, and in verse 14, that's Exodus 17, 14, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, as a zikaron, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Well, What's the context? Here, uh, the context is the battle with Amalek. Uh, we can say that this was the first encounter of the Jewish people after they came out of slavery with this fierce spirit of anti-Semitism. Amalek was the one who massacred the weak and children and women and old people, those who couldn't uh, run fast enough. And that was a very difficult battle in which Israel finally prevailed. And as a result, the Lord said something which is quite important in Jewish culture of remembering. Write this on a scroll as a zikaron, as something to remember. And uh, we can go on in the Bible looking after some of the other Amalekites like uh, Haman in the Persian uh, realm. And I would even say that the spirit of Amalek is still alive and we saw some of the destruction in written last century through the Nazis. And th that is really the, this completely evil spirit. And uh, one of the things that the Jews are told to remember is that there is such a thing as enemies bent on the destruction of the Jewish people. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Jewish people are really stand out in their ability to remember. And um, there are many days uh, of remembrance in Israel's modern calendar, and this Yom HaShoah, the day of remembrance of the victims of the Holocaust, is, uh, I would say, very much in line with this instruction to remember Amalek. So let's look at another scripture where the, we have this Zikaron. It's a completely different context. It's part of the law of uh, the instructions how to behave in a certain case, and it is found in Numbers chapter 5, verse 15. And it is the story of a jealous husband. So if there is a jealous husband who has a suspicion against his wife, this is what he should do. Uh, he is to take his wife to the priest. He must also take an offering of a tenth of an ephah of barley flour on her behalf, he must not pour olive oil on it or put incense on it because it is a grain offering for jealousy. It says nothing sweet, nothing pleasant, but he still needs to bring an offering to the Lord. And it is called a reminder offering, a zikaron, offering of the type of zikaron in order to draw attention to wrongdoing. Okay, so that is the purpose of zikaron in this case, to draw attention to wrongdoing. Well, doesn't matter if his uh, suspicion was uh, right or not. It was 
the priest's job to decide. But uh, in this situation, when you already have a suspicion against your wife, that's a pretty difficult situation. And this offering is uh, called a zikaron and serves to draw attention to something which is simply not right, something very unpleasant, something wrong. So again, we have zikaron to remember uh, a tragedy, to draw attention to wrongdoing. There's another one in Numbers. Numbers 16, from verse 39. Let's uh, read this. Numbers 16, 39. Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial, a zikaron, to the children of Israel, that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions. Now, that is, again, a very difficult situation during the time of the wandering of Israelites in the desert. Uh, I think that was probably politically the most dangerous event during those 40 years. It's called the Rebellion of Korah. You can read it in uh, Numbers chapter 16. And what happened that these people uh, formed a coalition and almost succeeded in overthrowing Moses and leading the Israelites back to Egypt. Just imagine such, such a catastrophe. This Korach was a Levite, but he was also a shrewd politician, and he allied himself with people from other tribes, from with Datan and Abiram from the tribe of Reuben, uh, who had some aspiration to leadership because he was the firstborn. And they together contested Moses' leadership. And Moses proposed a test, and they agreed to it. And it was meant to show on whose side is the law. So they all brought their censers and brought incense, and a fire came out from the Lord. And the fire consumed 250 men who were offering incense illegally, we can say. So the Lord showed beyond a shadow of doubt on which side he is. And now the, the verse that I read uh, was the instruction of what to do with these burnt censers. And he said, uh, made, uh, make them into a shield in the house of God, and they should be a zikaron, again, a memorial, something Israelites should remember. In this case, that it no one uh, should uh, approach the, the altar of God unless they are called and anointed to do so, only the sons of, uh, of Aaron. So again, this zikaron leads to remember something which went wrong to put it mildly. And uh, I have one more scripture, which, you know, let's keep all those uh, pieces of the puzzle together. They shed some light on the meaning of Zikaron. It's again in the fourth book of Moses, Numbers chapter 31, uh, verse 54. Numbers 31, 54. Moses and Eleazar the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial, as a zikaron, for the children of Israel before the Lord. Here's another story. The fourth book of Moses, by the way, is rich in many stories. It's Exodus and Numbers 
are really full of stories uh, interspersed with uh, some law instructions. So this was the story of the battle against the Midianites. You know, that story started a few chapters earlier with Balaam, this ancient prophet who uh, had mm, words from the Lord and he had been sent to curse Israel, but we know that he couldn't do it because the Lord didn't give him words of curse. Instead, he was blessing Israel and he uttered some of the most significant blessings out of the mind, uh, of, of the mouth of a problematic needed uh, prophet, Israel heard something that God intended uh, as a blessing. So he didn't succeed in that, but he as a, as a man, he was really corrupt and he gave uh, advice to the Midianites uh, so that their women seduced Israel to idolatry. And in this way, Israel brought a curse upon themselves by doing this. Uh, so then in the end, uh, the Israeli army uh, fought against the Midianites and uh, when the vengeance was completed, Balaam was killed and then the gold taken from the spoil was to be set aside. Uh, so they brought it all to Moses and it was meant to be a zikaron, again, a memorial for the children of Israel. Why? Because they should remember how they uh, were seduced by these uh, Midianites women. So what do you think is the meaning of zikaron? It draws attention to wrongdoing. It uh, remembers a catastrophe. It remembers, uh, you know, something which you should not do. Uh, it remembers, it uh, draws attention to sin. And uh, this is very much part of Jewish uh, way of looking at things. Jewish culture is really, uh, to a large degree, a culture of remembering. Remembering in order to uh, learn from history. There are told many times in the Bible that they should remember. And uh, there is even a day which is called Yom HaZikaron in the modern uh, Jewish-Israeli uh, uh, calendar. And uh, that falls just the one day before the Independence Day, which is Yom HaAtzmaud, which is a very festive and joyful day. But the day before is Yom HaZikaron, where the whole nation commemorates in this case, those who fell uh, uh, defending their new country, Israel, since independence 75 years ago. So that's another example of how important remembering is. And uh, obviously the purpose is for us to hopefully learn from our mistakes. And uh, it might be good for Christians to adapt uh, some of that into our own liturgies and uh, our own way of uh, you know uh, walking with the lord and uh, one way to do it in my opinion would be to join it the jewish people when remembering the shoah and uh, uh, which was perpetrated not by christians but it is a sad truth that hitler could draw on many centuries of christian teaching of hatred and contempt against jews so this is a good time for us to remember as a zikaron and as a resolve to uh, not only not to do it anymore, but to change course completely. But there is also another uh, meaning to remembering, um, which uh, we can, for instance, find in the prophet Habakkuk, 
who says uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, in Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. So now we are, this is not about us remembering what we did wrong, but it is calling upon God to remember us. Remember us even though we deserve the wrath of God. He also can remember his mercy. And uh, we can say that this is an expression of full trust in the Lord, especially in very hard times. One of them is uh, when uh, Moses came down from the mountain and found the people dancing uh, around the golden calf, uh, which was a, a terrible moment. Again, a looming catastrophe. It's, it's Exodus chapter 32. But Moses prays and he says, Lord, turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants. You know, Moses invokes the covenants that God made with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, uh, it, he really uh, Im implores God, he pleads with God, and he is uh, calling upon him to remember his faithfulness. And there are many other instances, for instance, in the Psalms. We have Psalm 74, 2. Psalm 74, verse 2. Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed, the Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Now, again, calling upon God to remember, to show that he is faithful to his own promises. Psalm 89, verse 51. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants, how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples. In hard time, when it looks, when it seems like God is not answering, the Jewish people have always called, remember God, remember your servants. And uh, finally, Psalm 119, verse 49, 119.49, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. And that is quite significant because God is faithful. And when we call upon him, it's similar to uh, Isaiah 62, where God is seeking watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem who would remind him, saying, Lord, remember all your good words until Jerusalem is made of grace in the earth. Uh, when we remind God of his own word, that is a cause for hope because God is indeed faithful. And that uh, brings me to something which is also related to this God remembering in mercy. Um, it's about the breastplate of the high priest. It's uh, hidden in Exodus chapter 39, Exodus 39, 7, which is part of the long passage describing all the parts of the tabernacle and the, the robe and the garments of the high priest and so on. It, it can get quite boring if you try to read it through. But there are some real gems. So, for instance, this high priest should wear this. A mounted onyx stones in gold filigree settings engraved like a seal with the names of the sons of Israel. And then they would fasten this on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. Stones of Zikaron, something which 
would as if remind God of his people in the in this sense of God remember mercy. And so the priest, when he was officiating, he literally brought the sons of Israel before the Lord, carried them on his shoulders with all the wrongdoing, with all the imperfection, with all that we should remember. And he cries out, Lord, remember mercy. So that's that's the, the main meaning, meaning we ask God to remember. And when we do so, we show that we do not trust in our own ability. We are not perfect. The only thing we can rely on is God's mercy and God's faithfulness. And we, we just uh, invoke the very character of God. One of the, the most significant and solemn moments of this act of remembering uh, is uh, again connected with another day, which uh, is also called Yom Hasikaron in the Bible, or uh, commonly known as Rosh Hashanah, which is the, the new moon one of the 12 new moons, but this one is special on the seventh month, the month of Tishri, which ushers in the whole month of the fall holidays. And this is the, the day of trumpets, the day of blowing the trumpets, where this <clears throat> level of uh, zikaron, remembering ourselves and calling upon God, God's mercy is uh, present in a very strong way. So I believe that we can see how uh, even every month, we can have a small Yom Zikaron, uh, Yom Tuah, the day of blowing of the shofar, which carries all these aspects of remembering. Uh, but to make the message complete, I also need to quote something which maybe some of our listeners already had in mind, and uh, namely that there are also some very critical passages in the Bible concerning especially the new moon and some other festivals. Uh, a typical one is uh, at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, in the first chapter, verse 13 and 14, this is what God, through the mouth of the prophet, says, Isaiah 1.13, Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Shabbats, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. That's a, quite a strong language, isn't it? And it seems like a complete contradiction to what I was saying until now. The Lord says that he hates that. Does it mean that he canceled his uh, calendar and his appointed times? Has he changed his mind? Or what was the problem? And I think we need to understand that this is a very typical way of uh, uh, how the prophets spoke. The prophetic books in the Bible uh, usually criticize the practice of the day. They point to the proper meaning of these festivals, and they want to speak to the heart. Because the problem is that these rituals can become empty rituals, just outward religious acts without achieving the originally intended purpose. I was speaking all the time today about remembering, uh, about repentance, uh, about uh, humiliation and uh, drawing near to God. But uh, you can do it outwardly without uh, any of those uh, 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 of turning your heart to God. 
that's what a dead religion does. It substitutes living faith with external rituals because they are easy to observe. And also, it's very easy to judge others by them because you judge by what you see, but you cannot judge the heart of, of person. And uh, I would say that the New Testament, especially Jesus, was quite in line with this prophetic tradition. He acted as one of those big prophets, and he criticized the relig religious hypocrites of his day, and also other apostles are in, in the same vein, like uh, Paul writes in Colossians, that's one of the explicit mentions of uh, the new moon in the New Testament. In Colossians 2, verse 16, he says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Shabbat, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. So first of all, note that he also mentions in one sentence all these Moadim festivals, which are, you know, probably the big biblical feasts, new moons, and Shabbat. They are in the same category. And just like Jesus, just like Isaiah, he points to the fact that the Lord wants our hearts, not outward rituals. He speaks about the substance, and the substance is Christ. So we should not be bound by any uh, outward uh, rituals or practices, and we should also not judge others if they do it or they don't do it. That's something which we should not be dealing with at all. We need to guard our own hearts, and God will judge the hearts of everyone. So what is this message to us? First of all, just like the Jewish people, we can also fall into the trap of emphasizing the external, running into a routine, and drawing away with our hearts. So the, the whole point of any meeting, any moed, any new moon, is the opposite, to, to repent, to draw near to God, to remember. And uh, I believe that this needs to be explained when we talk to, to people who are not uh, uh, familiar with the whole concept, because we are not doing this Rosh Chodesh. We are not actually not celebrating Rosh Chodesh as such at all. We just took the day uh, as, a, as a symbol, as a starting point to look into the new month, moon and month, uh, to look into what lies ahead. There's another topic that each month carries a distinct message in itself taken from the Bible. That's something we have been also doing. And so we use it as a, as a trigger which leads into hours and hours of uh, prayer. And I believe that it is no coincidence that the Lord has led us to do this because it does carry a certain prophetic message. And uh, we can say from the verse in the last chapter of Isaiah that this particular small holiday, the new moon, uh, will have a place also in the world to come. It does have a prophetic significance which is yet to be fulfilled. Listen to this, Isaiah 66, verse 23. Isaiah 66, 23. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? This new moon is meant to serve to gather all flesh 
to worship the Lord. There's a parallel between the once-a-year festival of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, where all nations are required when the time comes. That's the prophetic significance. All nations will come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord of Israel, to worship the Lord of heaven and earth. And now every week, every Shabbat, and every month, every new moon, also something will happen when all the the world, all flesh, will worship the Lord. That will be the day where the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth like water fills the sea. So we have this pattern every week, every month, and every year, all flesh, all nations should come before the Lord. And so just like uh, the ICJ was founded uh, 43 years ago around the Feast of Tabernacles, when we, after centuries, began to grasp the significance, the prophetic strength and significance of this particular festival, which has been instituted not only for the Jewish people, but for all the world, for all the nations. And now is the time when the nations that uh, have recognized the, the God of Israel through Jesus, they can come and do it. This is, this is a fascinating time. And it seems like the Lord is now unveiling another part of his prophetic uh, significance of the prophetic plan now that every month there should be something which will go all around the world with one single purpose to to worship the lord of israel and to worship god and also part of it is always zikaron uh, drawing attention to wrongdoing repenting and also asking the lord and crying out for mercy drawing to, near to him so that this appointed time would be used by God to glorify his own name. That, to me, is, is really something we have not intended, something uh, that simply was put upon us. And uh, I believe that we are called, as ICJ, to be stewards of this uh, precious truth. And also, it's very encouraging to see that uh, I see a convergence of many other movements, especially these prayer movements, like houses of prayer all around the world, they are also waking up to the fact that they need to pray also for Israel and for their nations. This is exactly what we do during Rosh Chodesh. And so it, it seems like something much bigger than us is on the way. And that is really fascinating. David? Thank you, uh, Mormir. It's excellent uh, teaching, excellent uh, delivery of very uh, important truths and very interesting uh, portions of the Bible here. So thank you for that. I, I, um, I think it's quite interesting. Isaiah chapter one starts out, uh, I hate your new moons, but uh, Isaiah 66, the last chapter <laughs> says, uh, you're gonna be celebrating new moons in, in the age to come. And that's, uh, that's quite uh, fascinating. I think uh, when it says, uh, um, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. That it's really the way you're doing it is not the way I intended. That, I think that's what it's saying. And when you look at the whole chapter, there's all sorts of unfaithfulness and idolatry and uh, that you don't care for widows and orphans. It's just not those feasts that God is pronouncing judgment there. And uh, so, you know, it, you just can't throw the whole concept away. But it is, um, you know, interesting how you link it to 
to remember in the Bible, say if you just go by the law of Moses, but it's throughout the Bible, the number one command is not to love or to worship or whatever, it's to remember. And uh, say the Jewish people have a long memory, well, they're commanded over and over. There's so many times where the Lord says, remember, remember the Lord your God who did this or that. Uh, uh, and sometimes it's bad things. Remember Amalek, as you pointed out, sometimes uh, it's good things. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's the first commandment. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. You're remembering a certain every week. And, and I'd also point out um, that all these appointed feasts, like Shabbat is, is an appointed feast, one of these Mo, Moedim, one of these Moeds, appointed times uh, every week. The Jewish people light two candles. The ladies light two candles in the window, one for keep, one for remember. You're, you're, um, you're lighting this candle to remember uh, when God rested in the creation story, but you also light a second candle to keep. You keep the Shabbat uh, because it has some future purpose in that it's the it signifies the age of uh, rest in the earth when the Messiah is is reigning. It's and I think that's really behind our. Uh, why, why the Lord has taken us into Rosh Hodesh. Uh, we're not keeping this to bring back something from the past. We're keeping it because uh, we're forward-looking, you know, prophetic, looking to the future. Then Isaiah says in, in the Messianic age, in the age to come, when Christ is here, all the nations are not only going to be gathering at the Feast of Tabernacles, but even uh, at the new moons to worship the Lord. And uh, I think that's quite, quite fascinating. Even Jesus said, uh, he said, remember Lot's wife? And it was a warning. You know, don't get so caught up in this world that you're clinging to things in this world when that the day of the Lord comes. But also uh, he, when, uh, when you do communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. I, until I come. It's forward-looking, and uh, we look back in communion on what Christ did on the cross, but you're always looking forward to when he comes in that new glorified flesh. Hallelujah. So uh, I think um, this, uh, some churches, you know, they'll take communion once a month, or they'll have a prayer gathering once a month or whatever, and we use the secular calendar, and I, I just say, well, why not use the biblical calendar? And it's not because you're going back to something in the past, but you're we're heading forward into something, just the very same principle and reason why we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, that this It says in Zechariah 14 that this is what's going to happen in the age when the Messiah, when Jesus is sitting in Jerusalem, all the nations will come up, where we are looking forward to that, and we go ahead and prepare ourselves and prepare our heart and come and worship the Lord now as a statement of faith and an anticipation of that age to come that we're getting so close 
And I think I think the Lord is, has us doing this, and it's putting a blessing on the Rosh Hodesh prayer chain uh, because we are, have set our eyes on that horizon of the dawning of that age. We know we see the signs of it all around us, and we're setting our practices, our habits, our vision, our hope, everything, our faith on on a, a, a biblical calendar, a godly calendar that will be reinstituted in that age. So we'll be familiar with it. And if you, you know, like us, Moimir, we're so familiar with the feast and all, we know the the feast starts on on a full moon, on a, 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 new, a full moon coming up, but it starts with a new moon. When you have that first sliver of the new moon, that's when it starts at Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the trumpet, day of trumpets. Um, but we, we, you know, I, whenever I look at the moon, I look how full, how, you know, is it receding? Is it uh, whatever? You start living by the moon because, you know, so many four months away, we're three months away, we're two months away to the feast. And it's quite interesting that God gave, gave uh, in the Bible a lunar calendar. We hope people got a lot out of this. I don't know if you have any final comments there. No, no, I think that you put it uh, quite clearly, and uh, it is really our uh, uh, hope and our intention that people do not misunderstand what we are doing here with yeah. the touching the Hebrew roots. I, I tried to explain that, and uh, it, it's really, as Paul says, Christ is the substance. That's all yeah. we are interested in, and all these things are uh, can be useful tools if they help us draw near to God. Otherwise, they can distract us too. So we have to guard our hearts as always. Yes, praise the Lord. And uh, that's so true. Um, we we just thank you for this. We got a, uh, someone here suggesting that you write a book on the whole Rosh Hodesh concept and then the meanings behind each month. Uh, I'm sure there's some materials out there, but it would be nice to have you as the filter for telling us what's really worth trying to understand and, and place some value on uh, in yeah. our faith walk. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a big book, but there's your well, your, your next assignment. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, in fact, I'm already working on that because much of that has been written in the form of my notes. I just need to rearrange it and take another look. But... Uh, uh, hopefully, I will get to it sooner rather than later. Yeah. There's a question here. How do, how do you know it's the new moon? I think it, when the moon goes dark and then you have that first sliver, that means it's the new moon, right? Yeah. In the ancient times, when you didn't have all these uh, uh, astronomic uh, charts, the, I think it took two or three witnesses, to just like they need to be witnesses to... Uh, to see the first three stars, you also needed witnesses who saw the first sliver of the new moon, and then it was proclaimed with the blowing of the shofar. Okay. All right. Just want to remind everyone, uh, some of the people joined us in the middle of the the teaching, uh, and I uh, just want to encourage you, you can go back and watch the whole thing, catch up on what you might have missed uh, in just a little bit. Our team... Uh, you know, we thank God for our team, our technical team, Calera, and all our translators. Thank you again to everyone. 
but they'll have uh, they'll have this webinar up on our YouTube channel. You go to YouTube, put in ICEJ, and it'll take you there. And there's a whole sort of uh, playlist there of the webinars. It should be one of the first things you come to, or on our Facebook page. It'll be uh, uh, you go to Facebook and you go to ICEJ official, and we'll have the webinar there as a video to view on demand. So please go there. And I think you'll be able to use uh, also take advantage of the translation that that is recorded in both formats. You'll be able to get, uh, at least I know on YouTube, you should be able to get the translation uh, there. So we just thank uh, uh, Dr. Mormir Talos, our ICEJ Vice President for International Affairs. I know you're working hard. You're traveling now. You're somewhere in Europe there. I think uh, you said uh, Vienna. Yes, and uh, so just uh, traveling mercies, and may you have a fruitful time there. I'll be heading for the UK soon, so uh, we're back to traveling post-COVID. But uh, join us again next week on the ICJ Weekly Webinar. We'll have another fascinating topic. We did a biblical teaching this week. Uh, next week, uh, it could be current affairs, uh, a, a project, or back to some other biblical teaching. We've got a couple ideas in mind, but please join us then next Thursday, 4 p.m. Israel time for our weekly webinar. And of course, next Wednesday, we will again have our global prayer gathering, 4 p.m. Wednesday at uh, Israel time. And uh, we're going to have the second part of our three, third year anniversary of the Rosh Hodesh prayer chain. We had testimonies from uh, Africa and Asia of all the things that God has been doing for people out of this Rosh Hodesh prayer chain. And uh, uh, next week we'll have testimonies from Europe and North and South America. So join us then. Thank you for being here. And also remember the Feast of Tabernacles. You need to join us in person or sign up online. The Feast is coming up in just a few months. You need to be making plans now. Maybe the Lord wants you to serve here on our feast team to serve other people that are coming to the feast, or maybe you feel uh, you need to take full benefits, spiritual benefit of all that the feast offers, the worship, the teaching, and be free to enjoy all that in the Lord. But please join us for the Feast of Tabernacles. David Parsons from Jerusalem, wishing you a, a good end of the week and Shabbat Shalom.